Talk 1110-993 WBT, hour number two of the Pete Callender Show, 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. You can also email Pete at thepetecallendershow.com, and uh, the Twitter is at Pete Callender, uh, which, by the way, I should actually check that. It's been a while, sorry. Um, okay, this is Jay. Pete, you are the first media person to accurately describe where the new district is. I assumed I was still in Dan Bishop's district until I voted a week ago. <laughs> yeah, it's I look, I could barely remember or figure out what district I was in. And then I started getting Jeff Jackson's lies in the mail and I was like, "Oh, okay, I must be in 14th." Um By the way, I can also offer advice on um on how to operate radios. So for, was it a fella that just called in, Bernie? Was it a man or a woman? I'm not asking you to assign gender, but sounded like a, uh, a, a person of the male persuasion, okay, who was uh, inquiring as to the, uh, the lineup or something, right, the content of WBT. And so I also offer free of charge um, explanations or uh, uh, what, what could we call them, uh, tutorials on how to operate a radio. So if you have a radio and it's, there are a couple different kinds of versions out there and I don't know what exact radio you have, but if you send me, uh, you know, send me a picture or something, uh, Pete at the Pete calendar show.com, then I, I can more, uh, more accurately guide you through this experience. But, uh, so the first thing, uh, and I think I remember seeing this in a, uh, I think it was like a, it was one of those, what do they call them? The, the, the modules that you do when you onboard at a company. And I think it was done by George Carlin explaining the, the, how to operate a radio. And uh, essentially there are two knobs and you're going to, you're going to mess around with those knobs. And I'm sorry if that's going to be a little uncomfortable for you, but you're just going to, there are two of them and you, uh, you just dial them one way or the other. And one of them controls the volume. And if you go all the way to the, to the left side, you can turn it all the way off and then you won't hear anything. And on the other knob, if you turn that, that'll change the station. And then you can find, what was it, music or something? You can find music. You can find different people talking. Uh, you, can find a, you can find commercials if that's your jam. Whatever. You just, just work those knobs, man. And then you'll never have to hear us again. You're welcome. I'm a giver. All right, so two envelopes containing a suspicious white powder were allegedly mailed to Carrie Lake's campaign headquarters. The incident reportedly prompted the response of hazmat units and the FBI. The Daily Mail reported that the envelopes also contained abusive messages. Hmm. We may never know what the reason was for, for the letters. Whatever the motivation could be, I don't know. A source familiar with Lake's campaign told the Daily Mail, quote, yesterday one of Carrie's staffers opened up an envelope that had a suspicious white powder in it and had a letter in there with a bunch of vulgarities and ranting and raving about Carrie. The employee then noticed a second package that was exactly like the first one she had opened, and she reported it. Uh, at the time of the incident, Lake was at a campaign event in Scottsdale and not at the headquarters. The staffer has not yet report, uh, reported any symptoms or injuries from the exposure, so that's good news. Uh, Lake is uh, running against Katie Hobbs uh, in the Arizona gubernatorial race. 
So that is just the latest example of the kinds of coarsening political dialogue in America, right? There's a piece at Time magazine, which do they even publish the actual dead tree edition of the magazine any longer? Or is it just online? I don't know. I get it online. So, uh, well, I mean, I saw this online. I do not subscribe to Time magazine or time.com. Piece by Vera Bergengruen. Across the U.S., there has been a surge of harassment, attacks, and violent threats targeting civic and public officials and their families. America is a nation shaped by violent acts and founded on principles that protect free speech, even when it is ugly or incendiary. Yet the specter of politically motivated violence today has become alarmingly pervasive and the fear it engenders is upending the political landscape, according to more than two dozen interviews with analysts and public officials. For the past year, time has tracked violent threats, harassment and attacks targeting public officials and their families. News reports, public records, and interviews with experts and officials at all levels of government paint a portrait of a nation whose most basic institutions are being hollowed out by relentless intimidation. So, I'm going to stop here and just pause for a moment. Because I would just like for folks to consider... One thing, as I continue on with a couple more highlights out of this very, very lengthy article, it take, according to the, you know, they give you the little counter at the top. It says this should take, you know, between 52 and 66 minutes. That's all, because it had a list of every single state and like one incident per state. And right, the one in North Carolina was about some woman in New Bern or something who went and got her concealed carry because of a threat. Not about Pat Harrington. It was about a Democrat in New Bern, but whatever. So they picked one, and so there's a very lengthy list. It's a very lengthy piece. So I'm going to give you some of the highlights. But I want to stop and just put something out there by which I view these types of stories and see if you agree. Because this is the prism that I look through a lot of, uh, I look through as I view stories, and it is this. I've said this before. My default is towards freedom. I am a limited government person. I do not like government being involved in all the things it is involved in. My default is towards freedom, personal liberty, right? So that's the prism I see this stuff through. So when I see that government officials are being harassed, are, are, are being yelled at, or even being threatened, the first thing that I think is why are there so many interactions between the government and the people that create this friction. It's the same thing with politics. People who say, oh, I hate politics. You're probably getting a lot of that now. Uh, people you know that, look, if you're listening to WBT, you know, you, chances are you enjoy consuming politics as content, right? You like to be informed. You, you are intrigued and entertained and informed by the political discourse, the philosophies at play. Right, You are up to speed on these things and you care about them. Uh, you have an interest in them. So you are probably hearing from a lot of your friends and family who are now just starting to see all of the mailers, all of the commercials, and they're like, oh, I hate this, I hate politics and all that. That is a fantastic opportunity to point out if you hate politics, limit government. The only reason politics consumes so much of our time is because 
it has injected itself, government has injected itself into all aspects of our lives. If you want to reduce politics, reduce the scope of government, because then that doesn't matter any longer. Then you're just complaining about some guy down the street doing something you don't like, but that's just that guy. The problem is the guy doing something down the street you don't like, and that prompts you to organize some people to go petition some government agency to then crack down on that guy, and that guy gets mad, and now they've got a fight with the government. Right? A friction point. The more friction points you create, the more likely bad things happen, people lose their cool, and all of that. Eric Gardner on the streets, uh, on the sidewalk of New York, right, where the cop uh, jumps on his back and, you know, puts him in the. Oh, I don't want to call it a chokehold because it's not a chokehold. I don't care. It doesn't matter. The guy, cop grabs him around the neck and Eric Gardner dies. Why? Because he was selling loose cigarettes on the street. Why? Why would they have an interaction with him? Well, because the New York City Council banned that. They said you can't sell a cigarette for 10 cents. You can't sell Lucy's. Sorry. So now cops have a reason to interact with Eric Gardner. Things escalate, a friction point, if you will, and Eric Gardner is dead. And then, of course, the people who lobbied for the law to be passed in the first place, now they're all upset that the, that the interaction occurred. It was your law that did it. Limit government, and you limit these types of interactions. But no, no, we can't have that. We just got to have more and more and more and more government, and then the same people who grow the government complain about all of the friction points that arise because of the rise in, in the size and scope of government. So that's the prism I look at these stories through. You, you may have a different opinion. That's totally fine. New stock 1110-993, WBT. All right, so this piece at Time Magazine, or .time.com, Vera Bergengruen, uh, the headline is The United States of Political Violence. She says some episodes of searing violence have made national headlines. From the insurrection in the U.S. Capitol uh, on January 6th, 2021, to block certification of the presidential election, to the October 28th break-in in Nancy Pelosi's San Francisco home. Those are the examples she gives. Do you think there might be a blind spot that Vera has towards certain kinds of political violence? Right? Maybe. If those are the two examples you gave of Political violence. You can't think of any other examples of the violence. Just those. There were more than 9,600 recorded threats against members of Congress last year. A jump of nearly tenfold from 2016. All right, so since 2016, so in four years, or six, no, six years. I was told there'd be no math. Six years, it has gone up tenfold. Threats against members of Congress. But prominent politicians are far from the only targets. Threats against federal judges have spiked 400% in the past six years to more than 4,200. 583 local health departments surveyed by Johns Hopkins University researchers, 57% reported that staff had been targeted with personal threats, doxing, vandalism, and other forms of harassment during the pandemic. The U.S. Justice Department was forced to create separate task forces, uh, task forces to combat the intimidation of public officials. One focused on threats to education workers, the other on threats to election administrators. That's a framing of a story, yeah? The DOJ was forced to create 
separate task forces for this? Really? Somebody was like, come here, DOG. Get him against the wall. <clears throat> you're going to make this task force and you're going to do this thing. Okay, okay, fine. I'll create a separate task force. Is that what happened? It was the forcing of the DOJ. So far, more than 100 of the latter, which would be threats to election administrators, 100 have met the threshold for a federal criminal investigation in a nation of 350 million people. Okay? See, there's no, there's no way for me to judge this because there's little context. I mean, they give me, oh, there's a 400% increase in the past six years. 400%. Okay, but now it's 4,200. But since 2016, what happened? Well, in 2016, you had Donald Trump win. And then you had the mobilization of all sorts of members of the intelligence community and the Democrat Party and the media. But I repeat myself, go after Donald Trump and try to essentially, well, they did try, they impeached him twice. They tried to, uh, they tried to uh, storm the White House in violent riots. They rioted on his inauguration day. They created an entire uh, steel dossier and fabricated uh, story uh, smear campaign against him to try to get him tossed from office. They claimed he was uh, senile and suffering from mental infirmities, so exercised the 25th Amendment, right? So we're all, there were all of these efforts against him, which agitated his base, agitated his supporters, and then came 2020 when Democrats went and sued till states, you know, changed their laws, forcing states to change laws to make it easier to vote. We had record turnout, 81 million voters supposedly put uh, Joe Biden in office and there was no fraud whatsoever anywhere at all. And uh, and then people got mad about that. People got mad that voting rules were changed as elections were underway. They got mad at stories they had seen. They got mad at complaints that were filed. And you had more interaction with government officials. And when you have those, when you increase the number of interactions, you're going to increase the number of those that just by the stats would have to be contentious. The National League of Cities, in a survey published last November, said 87% of local officials reported a rise in attacks and 81% said they had personally experienced harassment, threats, or physical violence. Most of the threats are not made by deranged individuals or habitual criminals. They're made by ordinary Americans acting in an environment in which the political discourse has been coarsened to the point that threats of violence have become commonplace, experts say. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. It, it does wear on a person to be told that they hate everybody around them for 20 years. Yeah, it does. Look, I, you, I, I make no excuses for people who threaten violence against each other. I've said this repeatedly. I'll say it again. Why not? I'm a giver. So here it is. Politics is how we resolve our problems in a civilized society without resorting to violence. Because without politics, without this political discourse, then all there is is force. Because that's what government is. It is force. It has a monopoly on the use of force. It gets to use it against you. You don't get to use it on others. So we solve our problems with political discourse. You should not be threatening violence. You should not be engaged in violence. It indicates you've lost the argument, the political argument. You've lost. So, that being said, I do also recognize that 
there are folks on the right who have been feeling for a very, 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 very long time that they have been dehumanized by folks on the left and the media. But I repeat myself. Everything is framed through this uh, lens of isms, right? Your sexism, your racism, your uh, homophobism. I guess that would be an ia, a homophobia, Islamophobia, xenophobia, right? All of the fears and hatred and wanting to throw old women off a cliff so you don't have to pay their social security, right? All of the hating kids, wanting them to be stupid so they can work on your plantations or something, right? All of these attacks, these arguments that have been leveled against people, they're, they're kind of fed up, and that's kind of why they, kind of why they went for Trump. I've said this before, so I'll say it again. We are witnessing a massive realignment in our politics right now. The white working class voters, non-college educated white working class voters that used to be a, uh, a core constituency in the Democrat Party have left the Democrat Party. That demographic is leaving. And a core demographic over on the Republican side that were college educated wealthier people they're now moving over to the Democrat side. There is a shift occurring. Now, where different racial demographics fall in that, like uh, blacks and Hispanics, men and women in both categories, right? All of that stuff is still sorting out. We don't know. That's what we're watching right now. So there are going to be more friction points as rules that were written to benefit certain demographic groups now no longer can be used by them. And the rhetoric that gets uh, that was you know, trained on certain people is now getting trained on another group of people, and they may not take too kindly to being called those names that you've been calling other people for so long. See, I issue these things, like I say this stuff as warnings, because I want things to be better. I want their, I want, I want journalists to, to be best, right? As, as Melania uh, urged us to be best, I want reporters to do better. I want politicians to do better. That's why I point these things out. So that's why I, 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 I try to see the different perspectives to see the angles. But, you know, my goodness, when you keep trying to advance government into every aspect of everybody's lives, you really can't complain when people get mad at the way government is in every aspect of their life. And they get mad about that. And then when you gaslight them and tell them that there's some sort of an ism or an ia about it, then they don't appreciate that either. It's a form of psychological abuse. You're not the victim. You're not the victim. That is not to excuse the people that make violent threats or harassment or target other people. I wish everybody would behave better. But we don't. Because we're human. Talk 1110-993-WBT. As Americans' acceptance of violence as a political tool has jumped, previously unremarkable events and bureaucratic decisions have increasingly triggered threats and harassment, officials tell Time magazine. A significant number are fueled by social media outrage that has fanned ongoing anger at America's election infrastructure, which supporters of former President Trump falsely claim cost him the 2020 election due to widespread voter fraud. The fear and anxiety that fueled COVID-19 conspiracies has led to attacks on healthcare workers. Local school officials have increasingly come under threat for allegedly pushing, quote, 
critical race theory, quote, or inappropriate books, as well as issues related to transgender equity. Again, all of these are symptoms of government actions that undermine trust in the institutions. And the way and, and the way this is being reported, obviously, is coming from a perspective that minimizes these concerns. And when you keep telling people that their concerns are not important, they're not relevant, you're just wrong. This is the, the famous uh, uh, left-wing uh, approach to argument, which is to listen to the uh, concern and then respond with the well-thought-out uh, uh, counterpoint of shut up. That's it. Just shut up. That's what we get so many times. And a classic example of this, the, the quintessential one, is reproductive health care. Right? The abortion debate. And what we see now is a whole bunch of people on the left that have no idea how to argue about this issue because they've never had to. Because they just told everybody, shut up. Media quit covering all of the, the pro-life marches, right? They wouldn't bring these, uh, these stories. And, and don't save me the emails. I've done the research on it. Absolutely. They, the media did not cover pro-life marches. But any woman's march, bam, they're there. Show me all of the hats, right? Show me the knitted hats. I want to see all the pink hats. But meanwhile, you get hundreds of thousands of people every single year for almost 50 years showing up on the same weekend every single year to March for Life, and, it, and they don't get any coverage on a weekend. It's nuts. Anyway, all of those things, all of these examples that have prompted the, um, have prompted these threats or, or harassment, or what, and again, keep in mind, they're just lumping all of these things together, threats, harassment, doxing, right? All of these things get thrown together. And doxing, by the way, is when you publish people's personal information. And the obvious effort there is to get people to target them, which is why I do not believe when Jeff Jackson shot the video in front of Pat Harrigan's home, I don't believe you get to now say, oh, it's a different house. There's no connection whatsoever to the shot that went through a window at his parents' house a few miles away. No, I don't think you get to play that card especially somebody in that line of work that, that he was in and has been in. He's been a state senator. He's in the military. Like, these are things that you should be aware of, These, this because that's doxing. That's essentially what he did. He doxed Pat Harrigan. He showed a picture of the guy's home. Just like the Jane's Revenge pro-abortion protesters that have been going around, you know, setting uh, birthing clinics on fire and attacking churches and uh and the like these are the same reason they published the home addresses of the supreme court justices oh that didn't make any of these examples either i wonder why time magazine didn't feel it necessary to you know put into their list of of uh their list of threats the attempted assassination of brett kavanaugh and his family how come that didn't make it in but no we get you know we get the hand wringing over local school officials who are under threat for allegedly pushing critical race theory. Look, there ain't no allegedly about it, time.com. There's nothing allegedly about it. When CMS brings uh, uh, Ibram X. Kendi to a Zoom chat with all of its leadership and management after they have spent like a year reading his book, when they bring Kendi in to talk about anti-racism... And the mumbo-jumbo garbage that that entire book and philosophy is about. You can't tell me that critical race theory is not being taught in the schools because that's exactly what he's doing. He's training the people to teach the people in the schools. Again, the gaslighting of people 
is going to be met with resistance from the people who are too bright for your gaslight. Finally, the demonization of government all the way down to the local level doesn't just have a chilling effect for people inclined to public service. It's also a sign of what experts have termed partisan moral disengagement, with a growing number of Americans seeing people they disagree with politically as evil, less than human, and a serious threat to the nation. Oh, you mean like the J6 people? You mean like those? The serious threat to, to, to democracy? It's amazing to me how all of these arguments are, are cast through this... Uh, through this this lens of, uh, of the right is to blame for all of these things. Yet the tactics being described are of the left. Who has been the one saying that half of the country is evil? Who has been advancing that message for the last 20 years? Who's been the primary uh, uh, promoters of this concept? That there is, there is a political party... And all of its followers, like half of the country, are actively seeking to kill you. Are actively seeking to harm you, to enslave you, to steal all of your money. Right? Who is it that has been advancing that narrative? It's not the conservative movement. The conservative movement, generally speaking, people of the right, they want government to do less. It's, it is the antithesis of a tyrannical philosophy. Now, I'm not saying all Republicans adhere to this. There are a lot of Republicans that are okay with big government. Absolutely. That's why I said the conservative movement. Right? Conservatism, generally speaking, wants to limit the role of government. They want to limit the interactions between you and the government. They want people to have more control over their own lives and destinies. That does not make them racist. It does not make them haters or bigots or evil or the enemy. I've been saying this for years we have a we have a similar destination in mind. I had an argument with a guy on Twitter this week, total troll, but that's fine. Like I said, sometimes I engage with them just for the LOLs. And um, he said that I wanted segregated schools because I said we need to, after the Leandro ruling, he said, oh, you just want segregated schools. And I said, okay, sure, whatever, racist. What? How can you call me a racist? I'm not a racist. You're a racist. I said, I'm the one that wants kids out of the failing schools. You're not. See, I mean, I can argue this way, too. It's, it's very easy, actually. It's way simpler than having to know an issue and think about the nuance and that sort of stuff. But if you're going to come at me and call me a segregationist because I want poor and minority kids to get out of failing schools, well, then I'm going to call you a racist. See how that works? Yeah, I mean, we're not trying to convince each other of anything. We're just calling each other names now, which is not productive. I agree. But you did not engage me in a productive way. So, every now and again, I'm your Huckleberry. I'll engage with you like that. It did not end the way he thought it would, obviously. Um, because the, the, the obviously ethical and moral position is to allow kids and parents to be able to get out of failing schools. That's the obvious thing. And we've given you guys who are the big government K-12 model proponents, we've given you decades now to improve the schools, we've given you tens or hundreds at this point in North Carolina, hundreds of billions of dollars, and you still can't you still can't figure it out. So, yeah, I think it's time to cut bait on that. I think you need a new model. Doesn't make me a racist. In fact, I'm trying to make sure that the kids you say you care about are actually going to get educated. Yeah, that's that's what I'm in it for. See, we have the same destination. We have a different way to get there. 
That's all. But but you don't want to see me like that. You don't want to you don't want to see me as one who wants the same thing. You're going to call me as this guy did a segregationist because I have a different path to get to the same place. See, so spare me the hand wringing over who's demonizing whom because it's been going on for a very 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 long time. have a message here from liberal guy writing at americanmind.org this is some friendly advice friendly liberal advice to republicans he says i want to offer my sincerest apologies for your present illiberal treatment by the democrats especially progressive democrats your rights as americans are being violated in speech and in deed and in broad daylight if present trends continue it's not going to end well for america May I offer you some advice? I know the nature of what you are up against. Progressives are bullies. They don't like liberals either. Progressives don't like the idea of reality or dissent. They are impatient with the democratic process and persuasion. They are unbearable. And they are goading you. To the mainstream populist adjacent Republicans... The message has been it's time to bend the knee and join the Liz Cheney Democrat-sanctioned Republican future. To the ultra-MAGA Republicans, the message was an intended provocation, a poke in the chest, a double dare to stand up and push back. The progressives are ready and wanting you to show up for a fight. They want you to show yourselves as the animals that they say you are. They are provoking folks who see themselves as American patriots so that they can cast them as domestic terrorists. Please don't take the bait. They're looking to provoke a civil war. Instead, give them a civil rights response. Peaceful and nonviolent protest is the only way forward. That's the proven way to fight the oppression of a greater power with asymmetrical advantages. With regard to voters, the U.S. is still evenly divided. But below the voter waterline, Democrats and Republicans are far from equals. Democrats have institutional arms that Republicans cannot match and don't fully appreciate. The commanding heights of education, entertainment, media, big tech, big business, Wall Street, advertising, the permanent state. These are all solid assets of Democrats. Even if Republicans win and win and win and win again, the Democrats are in a different weight class and fight class. In their own heads and in reality, they are Leviathan. One would think, looking at politics through this lens, that Democrats would calm down and sort of ride the arc of history to eventual victory. The Republican frog is being slowly boiled. Why spike the heat and have the frog jump out? Just give it time. Instead, they're raising the heat to encourage the frog to jump. So why would they do that? Because they can. They have the collective power to pull it off. Parties and politicians rise and fall, but Washington has a permanent administrative class that defends its own interests, which appear completely aligned with Democrats and against Republicans. All these institutions and their tectonic aggregated influence are in Democrat hands. The CIA, the FBI, Justice Department, even the military, right? They and their commanding partners understand their asymmetrical superiority, and they think it's in their short-term and long-term interest to demonstrate it right now. Why? 
The biggest threat that progressive politics faces are the consequences of progressive legislation. See, progressivism comes on the scene as a luxury good. Right? The immorality of poverty in the midst of plenty is their platform, and they use this to reimagine the society. But in the end, they always drive out the prosperity, and they make the poverty more pathological. Right? You see this in all of the, the big blue cities. But this is a good way to think of it in these terms. This idea that progressivism comes on the scene as a luxury good. You don't get to engage in these kinds of progressive thoughts when nobody has anything. Democrats should take a hit this November, so they are flexing their muscles across the Commanding Heights marketplace to solicit an advantageous response. Their prospects improve with political violence. Don't take the bait. If you do, you'll be playing into the trap they set for you. Uh, the afternoon drive time host here at WBT, Brett Winterville, talks about this. He calls it, they're trying to draw you off sides in a football analogy. And it's a, I think it's a perfect analogy. Don't take the bait. I have seen people already worried that if Republicans do have a very good election day tomorrow, that we're going to see violence in the streets again, because we saw it last time. And I'm going to be very interested to see all of the people that were so worried about the, the democracy being undermined or destroyed and how it's on the ballot, that if people rise up and start engaging in violence because they lost an election, are we going to see the same defenders of the norms and institutions rising up to call out the fiery but mostly peaceful protesters? An eyes-wide-open understanding of this asymmetrical distribution of power calls for a civil disobedience response, okay? I know people like to say, like, oh, we're the silent majority and all that. Okay, first off, I don't think everybody's silent. Have you seen social media? Okay, first of all. Second of all, don't know what the majority is. I don't. We're going to see, I mean, we, we get glimpses of it during different election cycles, but the electorate moves in different ways. Different demographics swing towards different candidates or philosophies based on the issues in the times so you have to understand that these institutions that have long been considered you know the sort of the infrastructure of our society the right does not control them there is an asymmetrical distribution of power that calls for civil disobedience response peaceful nonviolent resistance and let them show their illiberal nature. Don't give them a diversion that distracts from the consequences of their horrible policies. 